this week on Dig Me Out. Is there one girl, just one girl who says I'm With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we've got a requested review. Requested, requested review. review. This is an old-fashioned one, Jay. This is one that came in through our website, not through Patreon. On the old interwebs. The old interwebs. They sent it through the tubes and we got it. And it's actually, Jay, from one, mm-hmm. of, our, from one of our new Patreon subscribers, uh, Tara McCook. I, actually, I didn't ask for the correct pronunciation if it's Tara or could be Tara. There's a girl I went to high school with a girl named Tara, so it could be. But I'm I'm going with Tara because that's the pronunciation I'm more comfortable with. Uh, she signed up and then immediately said, "Hey, I'm not, I can't wait 12 months for my pick, so I'm just gonna send it to you now." And here's an, here's another here's a here's an old school request to review donation. So we're gonna review Jay the 19. 19- 95 album Whirly Gig by the Caulfields. Jay, were you familiar with this band or album? Nope. No idea. Neither was I. I there were actually, I shouldn't say that. They were a band that when I was visiting the I Hate the 90s blog years ago, I actually downloaded the MP3s and put them in the maybe we'll review this someday folder, which I have like okay. probably about. Two or three hundred just MP3s that I've collected of you know bands, two or three hundred uh-huh. bands of albums and stuff. And uh, lo and behold, it got suggested. And recently, I was on the uh, um, I was asked to go on the Vinyl Emergency podcast with our friend Jim, and he talked about this band with me that uh, they were one he was familiar with. He saw them at one of those you know, big outdoor festivals where there were like a bunch of bands to see, including he's the flaming lips and the Ramones played at the same time on two different stages. <laughs> and he went and, uh, caught the flaming lips instead of the Ramones, which he said he still regrets, but, uh, people can go check that out by the, if they want to, uh, it, it came out over a week ago, but it's at, uh, on, you can go on the SoundCloud page for vinyl emergency or, um, iTunes and uh, Jim was on uh, when we did the John Spencer Blues Explosion album last year. He joined us for that episode. It's a good podcast. We uh, we share a lot of the same guests. Bill Janovitz has been on both of our podcasts and some other folks that you probably know. Matt Shiverdecker, to name a few. So this album, Jay, that Tara suggested, um, she gave us some copious notes to digest. So I'm gonna I'm gonna skim through them and give us the give us the uh, the basics. Give me the lowdown. So she says, this was one of my favorite albums back in the day. I'm interested to hear thoughts on it. I grew up on the Alabama Gulf Coast and was 14 when this record came out. For a few shining years, we had our own great alternative radio station and Devil's Diary, the single from this album, was in heavy rotation. In my mind, it's the perfect example of a song from that era. It had the sound, the snarky slash clever lyrics, and in my mind, obscure an obscure cool factor. Next to no one knew who the Caulfields were in my high school, which made them even cooler to me. Running around the Bible Belt singing, I'm staging off, I'm, excuse me, I'm stage diving off the church. 
of holier than thou and I'm bigger than Jesus now was about as rebellious as you could be with a learner's permit. I have listened to the whole record again the other day and 20 years later. It's still every bit as evocative as it was back then. Almost all my thoughts about this record are emotional memories. The riff from that day, the day that came and went, blaring from our car speakers as we drove to the beach, riding my bike, listening to Hannah, I locked you out on a mixtape on my Walkman. I hope everyone listening gets something good out of revisiting this record. And I really hope y'all don't hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, Stephen over on our Patreon page, which you can... Join us over at uh, www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out. He said, just checked out the music video for Devil's Diary, and I got to say, I'm intrigued. Pretty hooky chorus with power pop leanings, complete with the lyric, bigger than Jesus now. I'll take the bait and check this album out. As a side note, when I first saw this post, I totally thought it was about a lesser known Detroit punk band. But upon further inspection, I realized they were just called Caulfield Singular. So interesting. Hmm. Uh, maybe if they're 90s, maybe we can do a, a companion episode of uh, the Caulfield and the Caulfields. <laughs> we'll do a roundtable. Yeah. All, all, and the, all, the, all the bands named Caulfield. Yeah, there you go. We'll get them together. We'll get members from both <laughs> bands and they can, they can hash it out. Uh, we should talk a little bit about this album, Jay, in terms of when it came out. I was just delivered. I was just hand delivered, Jay, some macaroons. On the, the last macaroon in a box of many. So that's that's what we call love, folks. When I get the last macaroon. Yes. Uh, it's a it's an end of school year gift uh, to my wife from the students. Uh, that's where that came say, from. Okay. At first I thought it was going to say it was for you, in a school for you. Like, no, no, no. What did you do? No, I did, I've done nothing. Yeah. Literally. I mean, my whole life. To, to earn a macaroon. <laughs> Well, <laughs> you enjoy that anyway. I will. Um, so the Caulfields, I'm getting conflicting information on the inter, in the internet, Jay. It's it's actually kind of confusing. On if you go to allmusic.com, it says they were from Vermont, but if you go to Wikipedia, it says they were from Delaware. So Vermont, Delaware, clearly they were a uh, East Coast band, I guess you'd say. <clears throat> sure. Um, but the band was. John Fay on vocals and guitar, Mike Simpson on guitar, Sam Musumisi, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, sorry, Sam, on bass, and Richie Rubini on drums. And then at some point, uh, there was someone named Scott Cole Morgan in the band. I don't know where he fits in, but his name is listed as a member, and but given no instrument. Perhaps he was the guy who just danced. You know, like the Boston's have a guy who just dances around. Right. So they formed in uh, 1982 and ended up signing with A&M Records shortly after. And their debut album, which we're reviewing, Whirly Gig, came out in 1995 on A&M. The single Devil's Diary really received some radio play and it got some spins on MTV. They ended up touring... Um, Australia when the Triple J supported them and uh, they ended up supporting an Australian band called Died Pretty which is a band that has been suggested to us uh, long ago that we should check out so Mm. uh, it's an Australian band I'm sure we have an Australian listener that can chime in on Died Pretty 
So, like a lot of bands, Jay, they ran into label problems. And in fact, two weeks before the release of their second album, titled L, as in the letter L, in 1997, the A&R executive who was representing the band was fired. And then six months later, the band broke up. They did, yeah, they did release a self-release in 2005, a B-Sides and Rarities album called B-Sides and Rarities 1993 to 1997. So that's pretty much it on the call fields. If anyone knows which state they're actually from, please let us know. So we can, <laughs> so we can uh, properly uh, annotate either uh, all, all Music or uh, Wikipedia because uh, one of them ain't right. Unless at some point Delaware and Vermont merged that I'm not aware of, but I don't think that's true. Did they share a border? Where's my map? No. Isn't okay. Delaware south of Jersey? <coughs> and Vermont is north of New York? So I don't see how they would share a border. I mean, they, these, they share a water. To me, just kind of blend together. I know. You could, I mean, in theory, I guess you could take a boat from one to the other. Okay. Uh, you know, a schooner, perhaps. But uh, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think they touch. They're not cousins. Jay, let's talk about this record. One that uh, Tara holds dear in her heart and other folks uh, have feelings on. We did get some feedback other places. So let's talk about what we liked and what we didn't like about this record. Jay, I'm going to ask you to go first. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Whirly Gig by the Caulfields. Well, the album starts off pretty intriguing. Um, Mm -hmm. I like the first song. It reminded me of, I guess, Joe Jackson or Elvis Costello. It was sort of in that vein of smart, sharp-sounding pop. Um, yeah, lyrical. Pretty, yeah, very lyrical. Um, bit wordy. Big, chunky guitars, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, had some energy. That kind of sound does repeat itself throughout the album. I think Alex, again, is a good example of that. Waited seven years with great expectations If they had a crown, they'd hold a daily coronation For Alex again Alex again Well, every now and then She looks just like the girl I knew from way back when Even a little bit the day that came and went gets a bit darker uh maybe heads more in a, to a smithereens kind of feel or and hand i locked you out i think is there too i just like that sound for the band i think it's unique for the time for sure i don't think there was a whole hell of a lot of bands at that time um you know kind of i don't know if they were influenced by joe jackson but sounding like that um rickshaw's another song that has a has that kind of feel um, I found that, you know, refreshing and interesting and, uh, you know, overall production is good. I, I like, um, I tend to like when they're in more like major chord sounds too, uh, when they just are comfortable as just being a straight up pop band and some of the lyrics, I think we'll get into this deeper, you know, there's some lyrics that are pretty 
you know, witty and, you know, paint interesting pictures and kind of grab your attention. Um, so I would say I'll be kind and say those are at least 50, 50 on this record. So when it works, it works. And well, when it doesn't, it, <laughs> right. It kind of doesn't, but, uh, what, what about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think half of this record is excellent and the music and his, he's got a great voice. Like he can deliver a hook while weaving in some instances, pretty intricate stories in mm-hmm. these songs. And he does it in a really melodic way. And the the band really backs him up on a lot of the songs that you mentioned. Um, they're energetic. And even if a lot of the material does go into some darker territory, he does add a lot of wit and uh, intelligence. And, in, you know, like you said, like Elvis Costello lyrically is, is the one that I think I drew back to as maybe a source influence um i mean you there's elements of like power pop so you could draw comparisons like cheap trick but i don't think they're quite as straight up poppy as as cheap trick or in that vein it's a little more intellectual or yeah and it's (laughs) it's you know a more um you know they take it's a more alternative version i mean maybe it's it's the it's the cheap trick of the 90s and you know this actually isn't far off from that cheap trick album (laughs) that we reviewed obviously few people sing like robin zander so that's the difficult comparison but musically that album's pretty raw and it's pretty Mm -hmm. rocking this album you know from a musical standpoint um there were certain songs uh that reminded me of like the gin blossoms i'm thinking like i could hear like i locked you out that could be like a gin blossom song easily and you do when you best not to understand there's nothing i have you can hold in your hand and i'm thinking maybe you just should so much waiting i can't stop this The verses for sure. I, I think that chorus is really, really good. Like yeah. I cannot get that damn hook out of my head. Um, I think the cor- the verses sound like, yeah, Jim Blossomsy kind of jangly, yeah, generic, clean picked, yeah, alternative pop from the right. '90s. But when that chorus kicks in, you're like, whoa, like you can't. I don't know. I that was just uh, that's been an earworm for me. I just cannot get rid of that. Yeah, and I, I just to sidetrack for a sec, I feel like there's been a little bit of a critical reevaluation of the Gin Blossoms, especially their first record, whereas people have sort of come around to that being a just a really solid power pop record, whereas I think in the 90s they kind of got, you know, tagged as being a, a light version of, you know, gr- you know, Pearl Jam or grunge, you know, second generation sort of thing and not taken as seriously because um, lighter poppier music maybe wasn't as a wasn't appreciated at that time um but i think a lot of people have come out of the woodwork and said yeah that 
like new miserable experience is a pretty pretty great record start to finish so i don't think it's a it's definitely in no way not it is definitely i think it's a, a positive to get compared to the, the gin blossoms at their at their best in terms of devil's diary which is the single i actually think well i i i think that we've talked about it where you kind of have to have in you know this came out in 95 so in this like 95 96 you kind of had to find that hook that would stand out in terms of being like really unusual or very like cultural centric where you're like so placing some sort of cultural reference in right. the um in the chorus and i think saying that that having that lyric of you know bigger than jesus now is like the right sort of hook where it would make people stand up and notice and go what, what did he just say like that was that's a really good lead single and lead track i don't know that in terms of like making your ears pop and go what what he yeah. does quite that on the record um again while you like you said like Hannah not in a good out. way well yeah not in a good way um <laughs> there's a couple other lines that really uh they, they pop all right but not not in a positive yeah. So yeah, I'm with you. I think like 50% of this record is just right on track and and really distinctive. Um, he's a much more interesting vocalist and and lyricist than a lot of people at the time. Unfortunately, and we can get into what didn't work for us. That is where I think he gets into trouble. And actually, Jim brought this up when we talked about him on Vinyl Emergency. He said he saw he in revisiting the record because um, he saw that we were doing it. He found that some of the lyrics were downright embarrassing. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> and I kind of agree with him. I, what did you find difficult or? Ooh, uh, let me pull out some here. Um, the song "Where Are They Now?" There's a line. I, I believe this is what he says. Correct me if I'm wrong. Makes me wonder if Darwinism is just another load of intellectual jizz. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my note after that in all caps is O U T out. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, can't, can't listen to the songs with, with jizz in the lyrics. Sorry. <laughs> I just, at that point I'm, I'm checking out. So th- that's one. Uh, I would say also fragile just in general, that song is just nauseating. Um, between the lyrics and just the kind of the sappy ballad feel and the, I don't know, the, the pleading to God and whatever's going on in that song is just overly sappy. And I don't know, they're not kind of embarrassing. And I guess the last one I have is the song disease. I just, Mm -hmm. something about the ask a little girl if she wants a piece of candy and you'll find yourself in the, in front of a lynch mob for jury. I was like, well, where are we going here? Like what? Like I guess maybe he's trying to make a comment about political correctness or something, or but it was just a weird way to. It was a weird example to use to to frame that up. Um, because yeah, if he offered if some guy offered my daughter a piece of candy, mm-hmm. I'd <laughs> throw him in the river or into traffic. What did you make of the lyric in all of my young life, where he says? can't sing my generation because pete townsend is by yeah i yeah, was, was confused the- by that like i'm i'm confused 
from what perspective he is singing some of the songs. Yeah. And so I, I'm like, is he mocking someone who is homophobic? Mm-hmm. Or is he actually expressing that? Because there's a lot of lyrics in here that are about like youth railing against their parents and youth railing against authority and systems in place. And I'm wondering if that's just an, just sort of like him sort of attacking the old guard of rock. But it's like a really misguided way to do it. And I'm not sure what his point is. I kind of wish we could sit down and ask him about a bunch of the lyrics on this. Because some of the stuff, like The Day That Came and Went, that's a really tough, tough song when you break down the lyrics to mm-hmm. listen to and I commend him for being able to I'm assuming that's a true story I, I, maybe it's not if it's not it's an amazing bit of writing well, I was barely seven mom came home without you but I knew right then life was changing fast I don't know why I remember these things your pipe tobacco and the pinch of the beast entwined together But then, like, the stuff that you mentioned and then the Pete Townsend lyric, like, I'm just like, what was what was your thought process behind some of these lyrics? I mean, maybe it was just to be provocative and whatnot. But also, I found the Rickshaw song. <laughs> yeah. I didn't quite understand what the point was of having that term in yeah. the song. Is it supposed to be supposed to be pointing towards a certain ethnicity in terms of the character that he's talking about i just i i didn't get what was going on with that yes it just kind of it just kind of boggled me and i agree with you on disease because like yeah that's a creepy weird lyric in there because the second lyric is like very it's like bruce hornsby in the range is that's just the way it is yeah uh, Talking about you know the oppression of uh, of of uh, interracial dating, I guess basically, and um, I wasn't uh, I wasn't sure uh, what that first lyric, first verse had to do with the second verse. So I was just I don't know. I, I that was confusing. I have uh, on rickshaw. I have the note for the line. I just want to pull your rickshaw all around town. I just said that's a terrible lyric. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I don't know what you're trying to say. Did the but... upper crust write that? Like <laughs> what's going on? Little rickshaw boy. Yeah. I just I didn't I just did not get that. And then there's that song, The Underwater World of Asia X, and I'm like Oh, that's yeah, that one's awful. And it's and some of these are when it goes wrong, it, it's both the lyrics sometimes and the music that accompanies it. Like I don't know that like it's jazzy and it, it kind of sounds like mink a little bit, but mink had like a, 
Mink had a very fun sense of humor about them. So then when they yeah. got into those kind of sounds, it was just, I don't know, it made sense. It was just, it fit them and it was just kind of fun. But when right. this band does that, I don't know, I don't get their sense of humor. So it's just odd and yeah. a little corny. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, you know, there's 12 songs and like I said, like half of them, are just spot on really really good tunes the music and the and the melodies and the lyrics all work together and then the other half are just like head scratchers like what is going on why why is this lyric in here cuz it yeah. just once you hit a weird lyric like that it just i would right. just focus on that and i would completely miss like the next minute <laughs> of the song that's what I'm saying. As soon as he as, as soon as he said jizz, I was like, the record stops. Like you just hear, <laughs> and I don't care what happens after that in the song. I just can't get past that line and what the hell it is you're trying to say. Yeah, and then, and just the idea that there had to have been a better way to make the point you were trying to make for the song Alex again. Mm-hmm. Did you find that confusing? Because. Apparently, it's telling the story of a father who wanted a son but ended up having a girl and still named the girl Alex. Mm-hmm. And I was confused as to there's a line in there, uh, there's like some innuendo with regards to her, the, the Alex person, um, sort of being uh, judgmental as to uh, certain aspects of male anatomy, I'll put it that way, um, based on the, the person's appearance. And then I, I couldn't, like, it talks about then the, the character of the father dying at the end, and he couldn't tell if he died of stroking his ego too much. And I was like, I, I couldn't follow the narrative of the song. Did you have any idea what was going on? But there's clearly some father-daughter dynamic that I wasn't understanding completely. No, and this is why we're um, we're a good uh, combo here because all I could think of in the song, which I like the song quite a bit, yeah. But I was so fixated in that. Um, <laughs> uh, I was imagining this would be the theme song for the sh- for the show that would come on after Friends called Alex again. <laughs> But if you go listen to the chorus, you could totally imagine it being like a friend style, like, you know, intro video, uh, you know, whatever it is, the when the show starts with the theme song and like a montage of just just with the chorus part. I was like, I couldn't get past that. That is brilliant. <laughs> that is brilliant. There you go. I, I had not thought of that. But now, like, yeah, that is totally a TV theme song chorus. <laughs> <laughs> and the show would be called Alex again. Yeah. But I, you have to come up with a different, like, why would it be called Alex again? Is it like Alex went off to college and then came back to her hometown and all the, all the, she, her old boyfriend is still there. Right. And, uh, Maybe she got, or, or she got divorced and she's back to being herself and she moved uh, in with her friends. They got an apartment together in New York and they live across the hall from other friends. Yeah. There you go. And then they have a special crossover episode where it's friends and Alex. again. Yeah. They live in the same building. Yeah. Oh, 
We should be TV writers in the '90s, Jay. How did we miss out that? How did we miss on that gig? You got to make sure you insert the chorus here, so people know what we're talking oh, about. Oh, it's inserted right <laughs> now. summed up what worked and didn't work for us just thoughts in terms of just briefly i can understand maybe why this didn't go over well in terms of mainstream radio i mean devil's diary is a good song but i would imagine that has a difficulty getting on some playlists even in the 90s with that chorus i'm sure that there were some radio stations in particular areas of the country that were not going to play a song that had a lyric proclaiming that you're bigger than Jesus now. And then there's not a, you know, Hannah, I locked you out could be a follow-up single. Uh, you know, Alex again is poppy enough. But I don't know if it works well as a single. Um, I don't know that it's really a, a really solid second single on this album. There's some good songs, but yeah. Um, so I can understand why this might struggle thoughts on that what year was this 95 um i don't know when was that when was that friend song i hit the theme song i'll be there this time the rembrandts yeah oh well i mean they had a tv show it was all over the radio i mean that's kind of what this band reminded me of like if they were going to be successful it was going to be it was a 95 yeah, it was going to be with that little burst of, you know, yeah, kind of, I don't know what you call it, jangly power poppy yeah. adult alternative thing. And, uh, well, there you, you know, go. I mean, could have seen, seen a couple of these songs. Yeah. Get an opportunity like that, but there just weren't that many. I mean, there were a handful of bands that cracked through for a moment. There was no Alex Again TV show, so that's why that song didn't didn't make it. Are you looking that up? What? If there was ever been a TV show called Alex Again? No, I didn't look that up. I just looked up when Friends came out. Oh, you know what it could be about? What? It could be the follow. It could be the um, Alex P. Keaton as an adult living in the apartment complex in New York right. where Friends are. That yes. He's a professor. He's Alex, the conservative, but he teaches at a liberal college in New York. And he gets, <laughs> and he gets into, uh, you know, spirited right. discussions right. with his students. Right. That's good. I mean, he, he would have been, what, uh, mid-30s? Almost 40? Well, I mean, the Family Ties was on the mid-80s, and he was in high school, right? Yeah. So, I mean, in theory, he could have been in his 20s, yeah. early 30s. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, there you go. There you go. We got it figured out. Let's get in the time machine. Hooking up with students. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Maybe he's uh he turned into a raging alcoholic. No, and, uh, he's got kids. And he's got to deal with uh their he's he's a professor and then he's also got to deal with the kids um that he's raising in in New York. 
somehow the wife is not in the picture and he's dating, right. but he's got to be dating. Maybe she died tragically. Well, that's usually what happens. Right. It'll be a... We only know her as a picture on the shelf. There you go. What was the name? I can't remember the name of the, um, who played his girlfriend on. Family oh, Ties. uh, Ch- Teresa, I know. Paul, Poland. Tracy Poland. Tracy Poland. Is that right? I think that's might be right. People out there fact checking this episode, go ahead and make sure we de- we got that right. All right, yeah, Jay. Right. Is that right? Yeah, she's okay. best known for portraying Ellen Reed on the sitcom Family Ties. Boom, there you go. From 85 to 87. Jay, were the album yeah. better EP, decent single? Where are you at? I'm in an EP. Yeah. Uh, Devil's Diary, uh, Week on Wednesday, Alex again, the day that came and went, Hannah, I locked you out. Those are yep. my keepers. I'm, I'm pretty much in lockstep with you on this. I think this is a... A better as an EP, I'd pick five songs off this, and um, the other stuff, man, it's just varying levels of uncomfortable to head scratching. <laughs> That's basically what it comes down to. Yeah. So we need to thank uh, Tara McCook for bringing this to our attention. Yes, thank you. This was a, this was a good record and perfect one for us to check out. So. Uh, want to remind everybody there's still a few spots left at our 250 level at patreon.com forward slash dig me out where you can join us and then you can also we've got a few opportunities to make request reviews over at digmeoutpodcast.com if you like what you heard on this episode please head on over to iTunes leave us some positive feedback and that's it for Jay I'm Tim and we're out we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. <laughs>